0: Welcome to Hiring Talent. I'm your host, Marie Ryan. In this podcast, CEOs, HR managers and recruiters share their insights to help you find talented employees. In this episode, Gillian French talks about leading with empathy. She explains why empathy is important in business, how it affects productivity and how to create a culture of empathy and compassion. What is WorkVivo?
1: WorkVivo is a, a technology business that provides an employee experience platform. By that, I mean it provides an employee, a, a platform for employees to socialise on, to connect with, and it brings the whole organisation together. It really promotes open communication and it engages employees. So as you can imagine, it's very, very needed at the moment.
0: How do you define empathy?
1: I think empathy is really about it's very, very different to sympathy. It's about being able to understand a person's perspective being able to kind of step into their shoes um, and, and relate to where they are at that moment in time and um, I think you know it's absolutely critical it's critical now and it's always been critical in organizations and it does cause some of the problems within organizations because people just can't see other people's perspective but um, I think for leadership and right now it is critical and you're going to probably hear a lot more about it and um, into the future in the workplace but if there is is a lack of empathy in an organisation you can imagine you know not understanding where people are coming from teams not being able to understand where other teams are coming from creates an awful lot of issues in the workplace. Why is
0: it important in business?
1: If you have people that are in the workplace or leading the workforce and they lack empathy they have a lack of understanding of where an employee is at a certain point in their life or a certain point in time and um, a lot of times You know, organisations focus on trying to engage their employees through different initiatives. But really, um, when it counts, employees need their employers to understand where they are at a particular point in time. And I think that's where empathy is really, really important. Even if you take the pandemic at the moment, um, people have lots of different challenges in the home place, lots of different things going on. And if you take a very logical and non empathetic approach, you could just say, well, it's work and they just need to turn up and they just need to be there and they need to do what they need to do. And we're in a professional environment and that's what's required. But that's It's just not going to cut it anymore. And people need to have a level of understanding that there are things going on with their children, there are things happening in their lives. Um, And, you know, it's empathetic leaders that can understand these things and support people. When people are supported through those times, they give it back tenfold, you know. Um, And I think that's what's been missing in the workplace for a very long time, is that I think we've tried to nearly buy loyalty with rewards and different perks. But actually, the real stuff that matters is when a person really needs the organisation to support them through something or needs their boss to support them through something. And no amount of rewards or anything else is going to substitute that if they're not there for them when they really, really need them when it matters.
0: How do you foster a culture of empathy in a company? Well, I think it
1: starts with the top, like everything. Um, you know, you need to have a strong leadership team. You need to have a strong people management team and they have to focus on developing empathy. And I do believe you can develop empathy and um, um, the training programs that are provided what is rewarded what questions are asked and um, like a lot of time again in the workplace we ask questions about results we ask questions about data but do we actually ask how are the team getting on how are sort of product getting on with engineering why is there issues there you know what have other teams done for you know to, to sort of connect with other teams We don't ask questions that foster empathy or we don't ask or hold managers accountable or leaders accountable for the dynamics within the organization or the dynamics within their teams. And when you start asking those questions and start giving attention to those things, um, you know, people start behaving in the, the way that you require. So, I mean, it comes down to, you know, hire hard, hire empathetic leaders that will lead the workforce, you know, and then the people managers, get them trained, make sure that they're empathetic as well. And then it will, you know, just foster that culture and components of empathy are things like listening skills. And I think listening skills are something that have really been eroded over the years, you know, I And mean, we really, really, if we you, you actually said to someone, I really wanted to listen now for the next 10 to 15 minutes, it's actually quite hard to do without your attention waning or, you know, something else coming in or just trying to get your own perspective across and not really, truly listening to what the person's saying. So things like that and helping leaders develop those skills, but what we tend to do is probably develop financial acumen, you know, different skill sets that are required, project management things, you know, but really putting a huge effort into developing the leadership component and compassionate and empathy um, and and listening skills and things like that are really what need to be prioritised going forward.
0: So in some companies, a lot of leaders are resistant to change. They might be a bit old school. So how do you convince them that empathy is the right route?
1: Well, I think if you don't have an empathetic organization, you're going to see the, the the outputs of that. You're going to have high absenteeism, you're going to have high turnover, you're going to have inter, you know, uh, employee relation issues, interdepartmental issues. And long term, if it's not dealt with, like you will have issues that will surface in the business, such as probably just a major sort of whether it's a product issue or, or some sort of an issue, because If people don't understand each other and and in order to connect fully with a person, you need to have empathy and empathy needs to be present within the organization for people to truly connect. And when you are in a very connected organization, you can really feel it. People are absolutely willing to help each other. They go that extra mile. And again, it has to come from the leadership team, so yes, you have to get the buy in from them first of all. I mean, you can go online and read numerous pieces of research that will show you that having an empathetic and healthy organization and an engaged workforce absolutely does add to the bottom line, and it just makes perfect business sense in the sense of it reduces waste, and also socially it's it's a much better way to operate as well because Whatever impacts in the business impacts externally as well. Um, but the sad thing is actually empathy is on the decline. And there's lots of research that show that it's actually declining in our society. So I think it's something um, and I, I do think that's why I'm really delighted we're doing the podcast is because empathy is something that if it is nurtured within the workplace, if leaders nurture it, people do respond to it. And, you know, they may not be inclined at the start, but once they do engage in empathy and you create an empathetic environment, it really does benefit everybody. And it actually gives you that feel good factor internally and because you're more connected to your colleagues, you feel that you can be vulnerable around your colleagues um, and you feel heard. Like a lot of times, employees just don't feel heard. Um, And sometimes people think, of I'm empathetic, that just means that I'm kind of sacrificing my position and I'm not winning arguments. And, you know, when you're in a very competitive environment, that's why empathy can't present itself. But really, empathy isn't about winning and losing. It's just understanding that you can step in and you can understand a person's perspective, and that other person then feels heard, regardless of how the outcome of the conversation comes at the end. I mean, I've had very difficult conversations with people over my life as CPO in the workplace, um, and may not have, you know, resulted in the person wanting the outcome, but. I hope everyone you know that I've ever dealt with felt respected and heard and understood even though the message might have been a difficult one to land and I think that that is really really important um, and it's important how you treat people um within the organization because even if there it's even other employees are looking on. So they see that people are not being treated correctly or empathetically. Well, then, you know, even if it doesn't affect them, it still will uh, affect their engagement levels.
0: Yeah. And certainly if you look at things like reviews like on Glassdoor, there's a correlation between the most successful companies and the happiest employees. So it affects the output, it affects the revenue, it affects the relationships with customers and ultimately the amount of money a company makes and how successful um, it is. Yeah, and I think that's
1: what's happening at the moment. I think everybody's, you know, trying to figure out the great resignation and what's happening and what's going on. But I think people for the first time in their lives did have time to sit back and reflect around what's important in life and I think, you know, obviously it was a very tough time for people too. You know, they've had two years and some tougher than others, you know. And they really had time to sit back and think about what's important in life. And, you know, like sometimes I think things like money and that are the key motivators and lots of different perks and unlimited holidays. But none of that really matters if when the chips are down or if you need something in the workplace or you're not feeling yourself or, you know, if there's just something going on that uh, they just, the organisation doesn't deal with that correctly um, or you don't feel valued. The rest of it is irrelevant really Um, and I think that's really what's happened now. People have time to reflect and they want to work for organisations that they truly believe that they're valued in um, and cared for and empathy is the bedrock of that.
0: How do you measure employee engagement in a company?
1: There's lots of different ways that you can you know, measure it and you can measure it with surveys annually and you can do pulse surveys and all that type of stuff. I mean, engagement, again, really comes down to, <clears throat> in my opinion, sort of two or three things. Um, firstly, that a person, you know, that the person that they report into, I think their boss plays a huge role. So that's why it's really important to get your leaders right within an organization. Because again, no matter how much, you know, perks and benefits and everything if you have to rock in every day to someone that isn't treating you well and you don't feel valued and you don't feel heard, the rest is, uh, isn't is so important. Um, so the relationship with your boss is really, really important uh, for engagement and for an organisation. That's where they have to get the people managers right and they have to get the leaders right. The next part is communication. So employees really, really value good communication, regular communication, and then they want to be able to communicate backwards. So we are seeing a shift in communication now. Uh, It has to be more open, can't be just a waterfall effect where leaders are just passing it down to people. So they want to be involved in the communication, they want regular communication, and they want to be able to communicate with their peers. So that has changed and that does drive engagement. If people don't feel that they hear what's going on in the organization and things are just happening to them, kind of takes away their um, autonomy and they, they feel that things are being cast onto them that really, really affects engagement and just the work itself that they do and their autonomy themselves to do their role and their clarity in the role are really, really important drivers for engagement. Um, I mean yes surveys do surface these things but I think we sometimes just get too wrapped up in data and what I found previously is you do engagement surveys and what happens then in the boardroom is oh there's a 2% miss there and that was up last year and that was down this and end up talking about you know, margins and how different that is, you know, instead of actually missing the messaging from the survey. And then sometimes if it's a low trust environment, people don't really put in what they think into the survey because they're like, well, you know, I don't trust this environment and probably nothing has changed. So I think really, again, for me, when I was working in organisations, I always had a pulse around the organisation as in talking to the people. Figuring out, having team sessions, getting live feedback from people, hearing their stories, their experiences, what, what was happening. I could gauge even from, you know, sort of communications that I would post or yeah, events that we would have if there was a good turnout or if there wasn't a good turnout. And I wanted to know why there wasn't and I would check in with people and i think you you know need to build teams that are really in touch with their teams and and that may for some people in this environment be more difficult but it's the only way you get a true read on on what's happening in the organization and then yes back that up with surveys but absolutely don't get bogged down in data um you know and and make sure that you have the other elements that i mentioned there right within the
0: organization people are working remotely more and more often How do you make remote workers feel valued? Well, I think again it's making sure they're
1: included in everything making sure that um, there's holidays are recognized that you know everybody is included as much as possible and sure sometimes you know and it, it naturally happens to say the head offices in Dublin you know it the, the events or things are very dublin centric or Irish centric rather than you know noting that you have US employees people based out in Spain and just making sure that you keep an eye on different holidays for those regions making sure that you're focused on you know things like Thanksgiving and making sure that you're including them and have an understanding of that. The, The most important thing is to make sure that you don't have a presence privilege culture. That people who get promoted who are just the ones that are based in your HQ office, those who, you know, are around, um, around leadership more than the remote employees get more preferences or, you know, just get seen more. I mean, there's lots of research just to show that. So you have to actively make sure that you are sort of um, conscious of it and make sure that you're reminding leaders of it as well that it's not to happen in in the organisation, there's to be no presence privilege. Um, and I think that's really important because what we'd hate to see now is with some remote working you generally see that maybe women sometimes stay at home a little bit more and some research has shown that again it has negatively affected women's progress within the workplace. So I think as leaders within businesses we really need to make sure and I don't like to use overuse the word policy because I think it turns people off, but there needs to be, you know, a definitely a consciousness around we don't want this to happen that it's just people who are in the office that get promoted it's just people in the office that get recognized you know and um, and other people feel quite excluded which could happen if you're not conscious about it and um, there's a lot of terminology around conscious leadership at the moment and I think that's definitely what we have to move towards where you're just conscious and and as well as empathy plays to this too because you're thinking of others and their perspective and how they are viewed if they're and they haven't been to the workplace in the last two years. How are they feeling? Um, so consciously trying to, you know, organize retreats, um, you know, so that everyone's together, organizing gatherings and making sure that no team meetings happen. If everyone can't be there, so they're all you're, you're either all on teams or you're all on um, sort of Google Meet or whatever together so that people don't feel isolated at meetings, important meetings and things like that. So just consciously thinking, how do we not exclude people or prioritise people who are attending the office um, and making sure that you don't have a culture where it just hails those who are in the office the longest and it's actually based on the merit of the work that they're doing.
0: You mentioned earlier that you've often sometimes had to have difficult conversations where you knew the person wasn't going to like the outcome. How do you balance or draw a line between compassion and empathy and then traditional leadership qualities?
1: Well, I think that compassion and empathy should be traditional leadership qualities. They should be the critical leadership qualities and then things like maybe execution, drive for results, and that kind of come further down. I think that that has been the biggest problem in the workplace is that probably we've prioritized things like execution, drive for results, um, shareholders' returns, profits, and people are kind of maybe fourth or fifth down on the list. You know, um, and I think that they that, that the shift has to be that it's people to the top. I mean, the organization is people you know and you have to get your people working really well and the wonderful thing is that you know if you do it the right way if you engage people you bring them along with you you prioritize them they're going to be their best which is therefore they're going to produce their best results which ultimately will result in the business being very very successful and um, but I think there is this fear of control that we have to hold on to these traditional methods and we have to know what everybody's doing and we really have to be able to measure it and you know just be able to tangibly touch it and see changes in data but people just don't operate like that you know and, and you're trying to implement something like a productivity for machines onto humanity and, and it just doesn't work um, and I think this is the shift and I think that these should be the critical skill sets of leaders going forward building high trust environments, being compassionate, being conscious, ethical. um, And and they're the critical leadership skills and the others kind of follow suit after that. And I think if we do that, our organisations will be better and I think society will be better.
0: Yeah. And when you're hiring somebody with um, those kinds of leadership values like empathy, what do you look for and what kind of questions do you ask?
1: Oh, good question. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when I'm interviewing people, you know, um, I'm generally looking when they're describing things within the workplace. Are they predominantly using I I did this, I did the other, I did, you know, uh, do they talk about just tasks and projects and or they, do they talk about the people that they worked with? Do they talk, talk about the people that got them there? Do they talk about the people that they've developed or when I ask them their proudest moments, is it about, you know, again just an individualistic or is it a team-based um achievement or you know do they actually mention anyone else um that they have you know their success has been benchmarked on or is it just all themselves um so yeah it's the stories that they tell you it's um the when they're giving you back examples is it all individual based or is there stories about how they've brought other people on, how they've achieved things with people, how other people and how they've developed those people um, or is it just I, 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 I and some results and some, you know, um, some successes but probably just out of themselves rather than how they got results or how they achieve things through people and with people.
0: Yeah, ideally, you want a team player who's able to credit the team instead of an I am. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of and, and
1: you you know, you hear Simon Sinek and you hear all the the great thought leaders out at the moment. I mean, the real, I think, leadership style, if you want to call it or leadership way is servant leadership, I think, going forward. I mean, leaders, their main role is to they're in service to the people rather than, you know, people you know just in service to them and um, so your legacy should be what you've done for others and how you've brought them on and how they've flourished under your leadership and how you've drawn out the potential of the people and um, that's really what leadership is about not how you drove or you know, drove fear or, or uh, sort of extracted um, this out of people, you know, um, and I think that there is a big shift. It's more servant um, type leadership that is required uh, going forward, and that is probably the type of leadership for the where we are now. Um, I mean, we have a highly um, educated workforce doing very interesting, creative work. Um, you know, the, the authoritarian um, d- d- sort of directive type leadership isn't really required um, in that type of environment, you know. Um, it's more facilitating and ensuring you're drawing the potential out of the people that you're working with.
0: Yeah, you want to support them to be the best. And you mentioned earlier that listening skills are gone and massively depleted. Do you have any tips or pointers of how people can be more present when they're in conversations or how they can improve their own listening skills?
1: I think the number one thing when you're ever involved with listening is listen to understand and you know it's not my my quote it's somebody else's listen to understand rather than listen to respond so often we have a situation where we're sitting in front of someone and we're like okay I need to have a good response here now and this starts or you know I need to sound smart or I need to have a good comeback or get this person back for what they've said to me and therefore we lose the whole moment of what the other person is trying to say Um and The only thing with listening is you have to practice it. Um, I did executive coaching and I trained as a coach and and a lot of our, uh, you know, lessons were just sitting and being asked to listen to someone for 15 minutes and listen to what they're saying and listen to what they're not saying and listen to their language. And so it does take practice and it's unbelievable when you actually do it to see how much your mind rambles and how you pick up the noises and I think we're even more distracted now because we've so much going on you've got slack channels you've got you know messages coming in your phones lighting up so our our attention um, isn't great either at the moment so you know it really is about practice 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 but when you do it um, you know and you really sit down and listen to someone and listen to everything they say the language that they use what they're not saying it really is very very powerful and you see then how little you actually listen um, and how little we probably are listening to each other and how much we're missing um, and I think it goes back to being present so I think it's a big part of leadership as well. We're not really present. Um, and I say that for for everybody because there's so much going on in our heads. There's so much on the news. There's so many distractions and work. But that's something that can really break down relationships as well. So if someone comes to you and you sit down to say, do a one-to-one, and you say, how are you? And then you look down at your phone or you're answering an email and then like it's so obvious as well when you're on a Teams call or a Google meet that someone's actually doing their emails kind of at the corner of their mind or, or at the corner of the screen or they're really not present with you. And that really does damage relation because you're instantly saying you've asked me that but you really don't care uh, how I am and I'm not actually going to tell you because you're not, you're not really listening. You're kind of doing a tick the box. Um, so I think it's really, really important whatever we do when we're interacting with people and particularly now because things can be misconstrued um, when you're remote for a long time and social capital does break down, is be really present. So if you're going to do a one-to-one, well do it well and if you haven't got the time, well do, do a half an hour but do it well rather than doing an hour, sort of half looking at the screen and half you're know, responding to something else because it's really, really important that we're present listening and people can pick up on that. Uh, So there's no point, you know, just rushing in and trying to get it done. Like it's tick the box, did my one to one. But it's you have learned nothing. (laughs) And the other person hasn't had a great experience either.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, it makes sense. Um, certainly there's nothing more insulting than starting a conversation and having the person look at their smartphone. Yeah, and I'm still so on the fence about,
1: you know, laptops and meeting rooms and phones in meetings, you know, like one part of me is sort of like, well, are you just, you know, old fashioned because you're sort of 45 and, you know, you're of an older generation and, you know, people think they're more productive if they bring their laptops in. But my deep sense of it is no. I think, you know, again, If you're going into a meeting room and you're meeting together, unless the person who's presenting or they're doing some slides has a computer, but I think everyone else should leave the phones outside and leave the laptops outside and and really sit and be present with them and have a really good, effective meeting. i think there's nothing worse and and again the, the the messages so if i go to speak and someone picks up their phone but they didn't speak when tony didn't pick up their phone when tony was does that mean they value tony's opinion more than mine there's so many things going on you know um and people read into things so we have to be really really careful about you know how we are with each other and i think again in this environment just be mindful of of how we are and our actions and how they can be read by other people Uh, But, yeah, you may call me old fashioned, but I think, yeah, leave them outside the door and have a good, effective meeting where everyone's listening to each other and paying attention.
0: Yeah. And like that, if there's something so important that you need your smartphone with you, maybe you shouldn't be in the meeting at all. Or leave it with
1: someone and say, if it it rings, you know, give me a a knock on the door there and I'll come out and take the call. But I think this, um, yeah, I just... We can't multitask. There's, there's so many, you know, studies that say, no, we can't. You know, if you focus on something, you do really well. And, and you see it yourself, like you even go down to the kitchen now. And if I start trying to do dinner and make lunches or, you know, try and do pancakes in the morning and make the children's lunch, you know, something's going to burn or something's not going to go right. Like we can't multitask. But if you do one thing at a time, you'll do it well and you'll be there and present for it, you know, Um Yeah, I think um, leave them outside the room and and just be present. Um, And I think we need to be just present in a lot more, even in our lives. Um, You know, phones and technology are wonderful, of course, but yeah, we have to sort of teach ourselves in our our downtime as well when we're outside work um, so that we are more present when we get into work.
0: Yeah, um, for me, I think there's a lot of things you can do outside of work that will increase your presence and um, I suppose your enjoyment of things um, in general in work and out of work. Like, for example, walking is one or meditation is another for me. Um, also, I find if I drink less coffee, um, I'm much more relaxed and I get more done. Are there any things that you've done or things that you'd recommend um, to increase people's presence overall?
1: I <clears> am <throat> um, for sure so I do sort of three pieces of exercise every week that's my uh, sort of they are my go-to and, and I need those and I eat very well sort of Monday to Friday so that kind of keeps me on in good stead and I know if I don't then I kind of fall off the tracks a little bit so they're kind of my boundary so to speak then you know with work I just found I was working you know hours and hours and working maybe 12 13 14 hours a day and just wasn't working for me so that's why I changed recently um, I changed back in July and um, I always knew when my son would start secondary school that I would need more time with him and I just needed to figure that out so I basically do three days a week now and I'm very kind of militant about that and I try to just make sure then that I have my time for my children I have my time for everything else and those other four days to organize things and I do really great work then in those three days that I am very very focused um, you know applying myself very well I'm very structured I'm not naturally a structured person but because I know of those three days I'm super organized ready to go give it my all and then you know I'm not exhausted then in the evening for the kids and I don't feel that I'm kind of failing on every front which sometimes I did when I was overworking I felt I wasn't doing enough from work and then you come down the stairs and you have three children to help them with homework and I felt I wasn't doing that well so this structure of you know three days do it really well intellectually stimulates me I get what I need and then I still have a lot left for the family and for my friends and for the other aspects of my life but if I find I'm overworking and I'm not giving to my family or I'm not giving to my friends or I'm not getting to do other things outside work that I love the whole system kind of suffers, you know, so um, and look, I, I sometimes fall back in. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do a few hours on Monday or maybe I'll do, you know, uh, but I kind of kick myself back into gear and say, no, this is why you structured it like this. And this is a good structure for you. And, you know, I'm at my best then, you know, I I, uh, I love what I do and I, I'm great with work. I'm great with the kids, whereas when the rest all falls down <laughs> and I work too much, um, you know, I, it kind of fails on all fronts
0: to set those boundaries and be clear about those boundaries and push back
1: genuinely I think we don't take enough time to figure out what we want from life we all fall into the busy trap we all fall into conforming with everybody else we all fall yeah we all want the house we want the car we want this that and the other and and I very much did that I kind of jumped in and and full force and successes x y and z and and I want the formula Um, But I never kind of sat back and said, well, am I truly happy? Am I really enjoying what I'm doing? Am I, you know, am am I flourishing? And, and, And the answer was no, as in I do love the work that I did as CPO. I love people and I love seeing them getting on. But I just felt there was no time for family or no time for anything else when you operate at a C-suite level. So I said, right, well, what do I need? And, And I knew I really wanted to be with my kids. I have three children. One of them is going into secondary school. So I definitely needed more time. But I also needed the intellectual stimulation. So I started crafting them what would the portfolio career look like? What would I like? What do I want to do? What do I not like? So what I found when I was CPO, I loved helping people, developing people, but I didn't like some of the aspects of HR. I didn't get out of bed for policies. I didn't get out for employment law. You know so I sort of wanted to take the components of what I really liked which ultimately I want to improve the experience for employees I want to improve for people that they enjoy work so I crafted that out and then I sort of looked at what what could I do and I worked on it and worked on it with a coach and and I came up with the formula then And and I think once you know what you want That's the easy bit. The hard bit is finding out exactly what you want and what that structure looks like. But once you know then and you just don't, you don't, you know, sort of say, oh, well, I kind of said two days, but now I can't get two days, so I'll go for four you're still going to be unhappy. Say what you want, stick with it, and go for it. And that's the easy bit then to find it, because once you're clear on what you want, you will get it if you put your mind down to it. Uh, but I think the part people struggle with is to really articulate what they want um, and what will make them happy and and what will be fulfilling for them. Um, but in my coaching, I come across it all the time. I simply ask people, "Well, what do you, what do you truly want? Like, what's in your heart?" and oh my god they 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 just don't know and it takes them a long time to figure it out and you know it is it's a tough journey for some of them to really get to it because you know with parents or they've already kind of been on a journey with their husband or their wife and they've committed to doing things but it's actually not what's making them happy so it can be really Upsetting and unset, you know, unsettling, and um. But I do know once you come out the other side of it, and you actually decide what are your non-negotiables and what you really want, and then when you get it, it's it's night and day.
0: Yeah. Um. Have you ever not led with empathy?
1: Honestly, yes. I can say I have led with not empathy. <laughs> That's bad English. I have led when I haven't been empathetic. Um. I would consider myself empathet- and an empathetic leader. Um. But when I was younger and probably a little bit more immature I know for sure that I maybe viewed people that were very very different to me and held different views and saw them more as in a combative sort of light and you know that's not how I do it and you know that's rude and this is the other and kind of didn't seek to understand their perspective, didn't seek to understand where they were coming from and probably just judged, which you shouldn't do. Um that's certainly not empathetic. I was judging them and probably putting them in a specific box as in, you know, that's a type of leadership that I don't like or and, and that's the wrong thing to do because um, never the train shall meet then, you know, we will we'll never join up or be able to talk or. And then you create a division within the organization. Um, and And it took me a long time and, and a lot of chats with various people to say, "Well no, it's not right, and you can't do that, and why should I you know adapt my style and you know that's wrong and it's not the right way, but it it's never going to move forward if if you don't move to seek to understand or to really you know not judge um, because everybody has their story, everybody has, so the best way forward is always compassion, the best way forward, and I mean love is probably. An interesting word to use in the workplace, but there is a lot of literature now about that, you know, but we're probably a few years off speaking about love in the workplace. But compassion I think is is really important and um, because everybody does have a space and, and if you can kind of meet them midway and get your own ego out of the way um, it really does go a long way in building bridges and and someone has to make the first move you know and um, and with empathy you know it really is about no judgment being vulnerable yourself and you know kind of trying to step in to, to understand even though it's maybe something that you feel isn't how you would you know position yourself or you haven't been there before but you really do have to try and step in and seek to understand um i saw a lovely facebook video before um and it was really on sort of understanding people and trying to find commonality and i think that's really important and um, if you are struggling to maybe have empathy with someone or is to find the kind of commonality with them so they had these people all together that looked so different from all different walks of life, and you know, um, and they said, you know, everyone who's been adopted kind of walk over here. Everyone who's had a broken heart go over here. Everyone who's had, you know, a child who's been very unwell, and and it was really interesting to see how the minute they had a connection with each other or they had commonality with each other, how those barriers just broke down. You know, um, but yeah, for sure, it'd, it'd be so wrong of me to say that I've always led empathetically. I've always tried to lead empathetically but absolutely moments myself where I haven't been, you know, the best version of myself for sure um, and they've probably not led appropriately.
0: And um, they were those moments. Um, I'm curious. Um, again, leadership, I think um, we think we're always supposed to be right. Um, I knew the outcome before it happened. When you haven't led with empathy or when you've made mistakes, have you come back to people who said you were wrong? And like, what was the outcome? Yeah, I believe I've
1: always, I, I never have a problem with saying I wasn't wrong. I was probably at points in my career where I was vulnerable, Um, you know, maybe coming back after having a baby or, you know, just feeling a little bit out of sorts and kind of feeling I've been off the scene now having a baby and maybe people are better than me. And, and you know, you're trying to assert your place back in and there might be new people after starting and you're like, oh, they don't know what I've done. And, you know, and, and you're trying to and it's your ego and, you know, you're vulnerable. Um, and, yeah, there were times where I didn't sort of say that, that, yes, I am feeling vulnerable and, you know, um, what if I'm not good enough for the role anymore? And, you know, I'm after having a baby and I've been off for so long. So they're the type of things that you would feel. And that's when you're not then at your best. But I suppose that's where then the empathy comes in, because if you're an empathetic leader, Leading someone who's coming back from a baby or that, you know, uh, to tell them, look, it's okay, you're going to feel like this, but, you know, we're still here for you and and it'll be fine. And But sometimes the higher up you go, the lonelier it is um, and there aren't as many people around to give you that reassurance, you know, Um, but yeah, I would say probably moments of vulnerability and feeling i wasn't good enough at the time um was where probably i stopped operating in my best mode which is my empathetic mode you know
0: which is really funny and i only had the realization now when i said it um thanks so much for joining us today for the podcast it was a really interesting conversation great thanks a million thanks for having me Thanks for tuning in to the Hiring Talent podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe and visit our site, hirehive.com.